Father, uh, as we do come to your word today, I, I just pray, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, it's uh, easy to kind of get into these things and maybe get just a little bit uh, into trying to develop a theology and cross our, 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 our T's and dot our I's and get all of our, our stuff in a row and get our timeline figured out and just forget about a relationship with you. So I pray, I pray that as we study this, you would touch our hearts. God, that you would draw us close to you. And, and Lord, we don't want to be ignorant of those times. We don't want to be ignorant of those things. But God, we want those things to revolve around the relationship that we have with you. So I pray that you would open up not just our minds to think through these things, but open up our hearts to receive more of you and to fall more in love with you. And Lord, bless this time. And we pray, God, that we would leave here that as men and women who, God, are more in love with you, more determined than ever to make you known to this generation, to be light in the midst of darkness. So bless this time, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, as we've hit chapter 24, we're slowing down a little bit to try and kind of get things together and hopefully understand this thing called end times uh, somewhat. Now, Jesus is uh, laid out uh, in the last time we were together. Remember the disciples said, hey, when will these things happen? What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? So, you know, and I said, that's kind of a three-part question. And he answers it in different parts. Last time, he kind of opened up and let them know, hey, here's the beginning of the end. And we looked at that of some catastrophes that are happening, wars and stuff. And, you know, I believe, I believe most of us we want things to get better. We want, you know, we want to see a time where, where there's no more poverty and, and where we wipe out disease and, and things get better and better, but that's not going to happen. I've read the Bible, and the Bible's pretty clear. It's going to get, I like to say it this way, it's going to get worser and worser and worser. And you know what? And then here's the thing. It's going to get bad, and then the king is coming, the Prince of Peace. And that's just the way it is. And, you know, sometimes we, we get mad and we get upset. Why did God lay it out that way? And that's something you can take up with him, you know, if, if you're that upset about it. But regardless of that, here's what we need to know. Even as worse as it gets, God is in control. And don't ever forget that. He is in control. He is working his plan. Hey, this planet was created for him. And we need to know that. You know, when, when, when I think of, you know, environmentalists, and I think we should take care of this place. We're living here. Like, I take care of my home. I live in a home. I take care of it. I think we should take care of this planet. I think we have a responsibility. But here's what I do know. We're not going to save it. It is going to burn. It is going to come undone. And I know that. That doesn't mean that I'm going to trash it on the way out. I think we should take care of it. But listen, once again, keep in mind, who is Jesus talking to? Because I think that's extremely important, especially understanding uh, Matthew 24. Who's he talking to? He's talking to 12 Jewish men sitting on a hillside. 
He's not talking to scholars. He's not talking to guys that, that have their end time theology all figured out and all their, all their stuff done. He's talking to some fishermen. He's talking to a zealot. He's talking to a tax collector. And they're hanging out. Remember, they crossed over and they're sitting on a hillside and they asked him this question and that's who he's talking to. So don't lose sight of that when we study Matthew 24. He's talking to some Jewish guys who are hanging out. Now, I don't think they were completely ignorant of God's plan for the end. I'm going to read a few passages to you just, just to kind of set the stage. I think this would, would be in their mind, as Jesus said, all of this is going to be destroyed. And then they asked him those questions. Let me read these passages. You can jot them down and, and look them up later. But Isaiah chapter 10 in verse 20 says this, And it shall come to pass in that day that the remnant of Israel and such as have, as have escaped the house of Jacob will never again depend on him who defeated them but will depend on the Lord the Holy One of Israel in truth the remnant will return the remnant of Jacob to the mighty God for though your people Israel be as the sand of the sea a remnant of them will return the destruction decreed shall overflow with righteousness so again he's implying hey not everybody's going to make it through Jeremiah chapter 30 Verses five through nine. For thus says the Lord, we have heard a voice of trembling, of fear, and not of peace. And now, and ask now and see whether a man is ever in labor with a child. So why do I see every man with his hands on his loins like a woman in labor and all faces turned pale? Alas, for the day is great so that none is like it and it is the time of Jacob's trouble but he shall be saved out of it, for it shall come to pass in that day, says the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from your neck, and you will burst your bonds, and foreigners shall no more enslave them, but they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up for them. And then Zechariah 13, and it shall come to pass in all the land, says the Lord, that two-thirds in it shall be cut off and die, but one-third shall be left in it. And I will bring one-third through the fire, and I will refine them as silver is refined, and test them as gold is tested, and they will call on my name, and I will answer them, and I will say, this is my people, and each one will say this say and each one will say the lord is my god behold the day of the lord is coming and your spoil will be divided in your midst listen god laid this out for them and so when those guys asked that question, this had to be in the back of their mind these passages the day of jacob's trouble is huge so Jesus laid out for them you're going to hear of wars and rumors of wars there's going to be pestilence and famine and he says, but you need to know something. This gospel is going to be preached throughout the world. And then he comes to, chapter, to, to verse 15 in chapter 24. He says, therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, and then in parentheses, we have kind of an addition, I think, by Matthew. Whoever reads, let him understand. And then verse 16, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Listen to what the Lord is telling them. All of this stuff is going to happen. But that's just the beginning. You see, I believe, and we'll develop this more next week, but I believe there's a seven-year period called the tribulation. 
I believe that seven-year period, we'll look at it here in Daniel in a minute. I, I believe, listen, that seven-year period is uh, divided up into three and a half and three and a half. The second three and a half is going to get real ugly real fast. And that's why some people say the rapture will happen in the middle of it because they believe that the first part is not uh, brought on by the Lord. And that's a whole nother study in Revelation. You can, you can get our teachings on that and uh, archives and stuff. And we'll touch on it some next week. But listen carefully. Jesus told these guys, watch for one sign. What was that sign? When you see the abomination that causes desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. I love that, man, that he's, he's saying, hey, Daniel talked about this. So let's journey back to Daniel and kind of get an idea of what Daniel might have said about this time. Keep your finger because we're going to come, come right back here. But let's read and see what Daniel had to say. So Daniel chapter 9, we're going to pick it up in verse 24. And by the way, as we go through this, something you need to know. Daniel was so precise in the prophecies he gave. That's why most, you know, critics, they hate the book of Daniel because it is so exact and so precise, especially the part that nobody ever reads. Daniel 10 and 11. I know Daniel 10 and 11 are kind of hard. The king of the north, the king of the south, the king of the west, the king of the east. And people are going, I don't know, I get mixed up on all those kings. Stop and read it and mark it out and do things and you'll understand it. Listen, man, Daniel talked about, about very, uh, very precise things going on by certain kings hundreds of years before they ever happened. And people are going, how did he know that? He couldn't have known that. Therefore, somebody else wrote the book of Daniel and did it in his name. How could a Daniel? Yeah, they're right. Daniel couldn't know it, but God did. So back to this. Sorry, sorry. I gotta, I, I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of the book of Daniel. So listen, listen, chapter, chapter 9, verse 24. Listen what he says. Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city. Now, I want to define that a little bit. When he says 70 weeks, it's like it's, it would be better translated 77s. And he's talking about there are 77-year periods. The Jews would use the number seven a lot like we would use the, use the word dozen, right? You can have a dozen, a dozen of what? Well, most of us think eggs, but you could have a dozen months, you could have a dozen years, you could have, and that's the way they would use seven. So he says 77s, and here's what he's saying. There are 70 seven-year periods determined, and this is the important part to understand, Daniel. What does he say? There are 77s determined for your people and your holy city. Here's what he's saying, Daniel, there are 77-year periods determined for the Jews and Jerusalem. When he says your people, who's Daniel's people? Thank you. Somebody said Jews. That's his people. Hey, when you be, if you want to unlock keys to end times, get in the book of Daniel and understand what's going on there. There's 70 years for your people. Now listen, some, some of the people try and say, no, his people is anybody who's saved. No, his people are Jews. So 70 years for your people and, and your holy city. Then he says, going on to finish the transgression, to make an end of the sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Now listen, I read chapter verse 24 and I go, whoa, 
right? He's saying, hey, there's 77-year periods, and when those are over, guess what? It's all done. All of this stuff is finished. I like the idea to bring an end to transgression and, and an end to sins, don't you guys? So listen, he's saying, here it is, Daniel. I'm giving you the picture. And then he begins to divide it up. Know this, know therefore, and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until the Messiah, the prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. Now, I'm not sure why he divided that up. He says, but listen, from the going forth of the decree to rebuild the, the, the temple... When that happens, so you could know something, when that happens, there's going to be seven sevens and 62 sevens. Now, I'm not really great at math, but that one I can figure out. There's 69 sevens, right? There's 69 of those seven-year periods. Now, if you multiply that out, and that's where I have to look at my stuff, that's 483 years. So he lets him know from the time the decree is given till the time that the Messiah comes is 483 years. So don't you think people should have known when the Messiah was coming? They should have. Now there's a couple great works on this and we're not gonna develop this whole thing. And again, you can go and get our teaching on, on Daniel and uh, Revelation. But Sir Robert Anderson, I love his book. He's a way old dead guy. And he wrote a book called The Coming Prince. And he does a lot of the, the, the figuring and stuff. But a lot of people say, well, he's an old dead guy and he didn't do math well. So there's a guy in this, and, and who, this is current, but not real current. It's in the 70s, and that's kind of current for some of us. But, hey, this guy's name is Honers, Harold Honers, and his is called The Chronological Aspects of the Life of Christ. And he lays out this same numerical pattern. King uh, uh, Artaxerxes, and we, we're, we're in Ezra, right? Some of you are going, I have no idea what you're talking about. It's because you don't come on Thursday, that's why. Hey, on Thursday nights, we're in Ezra, and we saw the decree given. And Xerxes in 445 gives that decree. You add these years to it, 483, and you would come up with the exact day when Jesus came down the Mount of Olives and walked in there. They should have known that. So enough of that, right? We've got to get back into this. We'll be here all day. So until the prince, and he says, listen, there's going to be seven weeks, 62 weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall, even in troublesome time. Then after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. So he even told us, hey, the Messiah's going to die. Again, the Jews were looking for a conquering Messiah. They should have had a hint from Daniel. He's not going to last. He's going to be cut off. And he was. Now, between, between what was said there where he's cut off, and then it says, and the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end of it shall be a flood till the end, uh, an end, till the end of the war, desolations are determined. Listen, that's kind of the church age. And after the Messiah is cut off, hey, there's a thing called the church age. I don't know if you've paid a lot of attention, but in the Old Testament, there's no church. The Old Testament's about Jews. There's no church. And the Old Testament goes all the way to the end, and there's no church. And when Paul writes, here's what he says. We're a mystery. We got grafted in. 
We're not, listen, we're not, quote, in, a, in some ways, part of the plan we're drafted in. Now, I know God's eternal plan, and he's got it together. But are you, are you walking with me? Hey, he's saying, he's acting like these events are going to happen. Boom, boom, boom. No, they're not. There's a huge gap. And when the people revolt and they destroy the temple, then he says in verse 27, now that could be 70 AD, but verse 27 definitely is different. Then he shall confirm a covenant with the many for a week. There's going to come one, and we're going to read about him in a minute. He's going to make a covenant with Israel for seven years that week, right? But in the middle of the week, listen to this, he shall bring an end to the sacrifices and offering, and on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. The one spoken of by Daniel the prophecy prophet, right there, right there, he is going to come and he's going to bring abominations to the temple. So here's what I know. There will be another temple built. And here's what else I know. Someone is going to raise up and they're going to make world peace. And it is going to look so good. And it is going to look so wonderful. And he is especially going to side with Israel. If you pay much attention politically and, and, and worldwide politics, Israel's not liked by anybody hardly. They're sometimes liked by us, sometimes not, depending on who's, who's in the Oval Office. Not too many people like Israel. And Israel kind of fights against the world. And when Israel does something, isn't it weird that this little tiny nation can do something in a whole world like, I don't think they should have done that. Why? Well, because we just don't like them. They shouldn't have done that. And everybody comes against them. Hey, along is going to come this guy, and he's going to make peace. Now, in Daniel chapter 11, you can read for homework 9, 10, and 11. In Daniel chapter 11, there is a guy who shows up on the scene that a lot of people say that's what Daniel was talking about. There's a guy who shows up on the scene. His name is Antiochus Epiphanes. And he's part of the king of the north, the king of the south, that whole, that whole thing you read. And he comes in, and he does set up uh, 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 and, and slaughters a pig on the altar. Hey, that's huge. You talk about abomination that causes desolation. He definitely did that. There is no doubt in my mind that he did that. But there's also no doubt in my mind that's not who Jesus is referring to. Why do I know? Because that happened before Jesus, and Jesus is telling us it's still to come. If, if, hey, if Antiochus was a fulfillment of, of chapter 9, verse 27, then Jesus would have said that's been fulfilled. But he says, no, it's still going to happen. So yeah, that guy did that, there's no doubt, but it's still coming. And then you got to read Daniel chapter 12, and I'm not even going to read that for you. You can read that for homework. So got a little bit of homework to do. Talks about this same event. Now go back, go back one more time to, uh, to uh, Matthew, and then we're going to jump to 2 Thessalonians real quick. But notice what he says, therefore, when you see this, when you see this, and, and spoken of by the uh, prophet Daniel, and then notice, I love, I love the parenthetical part. Whoever reads this, let them understand. I believe, listen, I believe, well, I know, Matthew wrote this after Jesus died. So it's, it's not like he's transcribing or it's not like Jesus is dictating to him this entire message. Remember, we talked about after they ask a question all the way to end, uh, the end of chapter 25 is all, if you have a red letter Bible, it's all in red letters. I kind of I get disturbed with that sometimes. By the way, the red is no more important than the black, just so you know. But 
Hey, that's just to differentiate. And hey, Jesus gave one huge long answer, but it seems like Matthew had a burden on his heart and he had to put that little parenthetical thing in there and he says, hey guys, if you're reading this, you need to understand this. Don't read it lightly. Don't brush it off. Don't just go by it. So listen, if he says whoever reads, let him understand or let the reader understand. Some of your translations say, I think we need to be understanding this. Now, one way that helps, go to, go to Thessalonians real quick and then we'll, then we'll just stay in, in uh, Matthew after this. But go to Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians chapter two, Paul writing, and it's again one of those times where Paul says, hey, I, I hope you guys pay attention and uh, a lot of us go, a lot of us don't pay attention. But here, look at verse three. He says, let no one deceive you. You know, you should underline that in your Bible because here's what he's saying. If he's telling us, let no one deceive us, what does that mean? That means someone is going to try to deceive us, right? Someone is gonna try and pull it off. So he says, listen, let no one deceive you by any means for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshiped so that he sits as God in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. That's the exact thing that Matthew is talking about. He is gonna come and he's going to sit there and he's gonna defile the temple. He's going to make people worship him. This is that guy called the Antichrist. Now you can read the rest of that chapter on your own, but back to, back to Matthew. Listen, I think it's extremely important that we understand some of these things and that we get it in our heads. Number one, right here, here's what I, I believe with all my heart. He's talking to some Jewish guys. He's not talking to the church. He's talking to those 12 Jewish guys. Sometimes I call them boys. I don't think they were boys. Well, if you're as old as me, they were boys. But listen, man, he's talking to these guys on a hillside. And he's saying, here's what you guys need to know. Now, listen, it wasn't necessarily for them, but it's for others. But he's speaking to a group, Jews. And you're gonna say, are you sure he's speaking to Jews? Listen to what he says. Look at verse 16. Let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. That's hint number one. He's talking to Jews. Who lives in Judea for the most part? Jews, right? Let those in Judea flee. Verse 17, let him who is on his housetop not go down to take anything out of his house and let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days. And he says, and pray that your flight be not in the winter or on the Sabbath. Who celebrates the Sabbath? Jews. Some Christians try and make you celebrate the Sabbath. They're wrong. Jews do the Sabbath. And the Sabbath is always Saturday, never changed to Sunday, never got fixed. It's Saturday. So listen what he's saying. Here's what he's saying. When you see that, whatever, whoever is alive, whoever is around, especially Judea, when you see the abomination that causes desolation, you need to get your Nikes on and you need to beat feet out of there, man. And you need to go and go as fast as that. That sort of blows my mind when I read that. Here's what Jesus says, run, get out of there. Normally we would think we need to take a stand. And we need to be firm, right? We need to be a witness. And even as believers, we need to be a witness for Jesus. Here's what Jesus says, you get out of there. 
you go. Don't even go down to your house and get that shirt. Go shirtless. If you're out in the field, don't go worrying about getting a bunch of clothes to take. You just go. And how horrible it would be for pregnant women or those nursing wives. Because it's difficult to travel, right? He goes, it's horrible. And he says, pray that it doesn't happen in the winter. Now, uh, the winters aren't that bad in Israel. You know, that I, I read that part and I go, well, that can't be that hard. But then he says, or on the Sabbath. Why would he say, why would he say pray that it doesn't happen on the Sabbath? Because they're Jews. And Jews will only, listen, a Jew, and even today, even today in modern Israel, a Jew will not go further than they're supposed to on what's called a Sabbath day walk. Now they have helped each other out. Listen, it was supposed to be like 300 yards or something. I can't remember exactly. I don't, I don't know who came up with the amount. Well, it can only be this long. Well, they, they got freaked out about it. And, and so some of them would leave something, you know, at the boundary area as far as they were supposed to go. And they'd go, well, now that's mine. Now I can go another 300 yards or whatever it was. And then they came up with this great idea. They put a, a line. And when we go to Israel today, you still see it. There's a line around the city on poles. There's nothing there's an, it's not an electrical thing it's just a line and that line joins the city so you can go any place within that city because the line is there but here's what Jesus is saying you know you can only go a Sabbath day's walk so pray that it doesn't happen on the Sabbath I got to share something with you guys I would break the Sabbath if someone's trying to kill me I'd beat feet out of there I would just think you know what I don't care about the Sabbath I'm leaving so Jesus lays this out and tells them, now, now, hey, they're going to go to a place. You can read Revelation chapter 12. Uh, you know what, for homework, read Daniel and read Revelation. Shouldn't take too long. Revelation chapter 12 tells us when, when they're taken out and, and, you know, they're taken out to a certain city and, and they're hid. And, and uh, you know, a lot of people think it's Petra. And, and I've been to Petra and, and I kind of understand that thinking. And, and you know, it's, it's pretty a pretty remarkable place. But the problem I have with it today is it's not a hidden city anymore. Everybody knows where Petra is. Raiders made sure of that. Raiders of the Lost Ark, not the Los Angeles Raiders <laughs> or wherever they're at now. Where are they at now? Oakland. Vegas. Man, those guys move a lot. Are they in Vegas? Next year? Well, let's have a discussion about this. Let's figure it out, because this is extremely important for our study. <laughs> Raiders of the Lost Ark made, made sure, listen, so, hey, everybody knows where that is, and, you know, and somebody brought up to me, but God could supernaturally protect them. They're sure. Hey, there, at one time, at one time, there was, a, there was an evangelist that was so convinced of this, he went and bought thousands of Hebrew New Testaments and underlined passages in Daniel, passages in Matthew 24, passages in Revelation, and underlined them all and put them in earthen jars, put them in clay jars in different places there in Petra so when the Jews ran, they could find those. Well, I'm thinking if God's supernaturally protecting them, he's gonna kind of take care of that part of it too. I don't think they're, they're gonna have to find those. But listen, uh, uh, so, so listen, they're gonna go there, they're gonna hide there, but here's what it says, and here's where it gets important. Look at verse 21. For then there will be great tribulation, such as not been since the beginning of the world until this time, nor shall ever be again. Wow. There's going to be atrocities 
so intense that they've never happened before. And they will never happen again. I believe what he's describing and what Jesus is talking about just here in just a few short words. I believe, listen, I believe what he's saying is he's going to make the World War II Holocaust look like a walk in the park. A lot of people say 70 AD was when this took place. The people who, what we call amillennial and, and uh, et cetera, they say, no, all of this took place, and I'm reading one right now as I'm studying, and, and no, all of this took place in 70 AD. 70 AD was not worse than the, than the World War II Holocaust. And he says, it has never happened before, and it will never happen again. So it can't be 70 AD. Could it be World War II? You know, and I'm sure people around World War II thought that was it. But he goes, listen, man, it is going to be so bad. It is going to be so intense. And again, you can read Revelation. You, know, you don't have to read the whole book of Revelation. Just read 6 through 16. You know, and kind of get an idea of what we're talking about and what's going to happen. And hey, we just read in Zechariah, and it said only one-third of the Jews are going to survive that. You need to understand, this is intense. And he says, hey, it's never happened before. It will never happen again. And we need to know, we need to kind of glom on to that. And then verse 22 says this, and unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Now, a lot of people hear that word elect and they think of the church. Israel is God's elect also. You need to know that, not just the church. And here's what he, you know, now a lot of people have different interpretations. They're saying God cut short the length of time. Well, God's always planned that time for three and a half years. So maybe, maybe by making it three and a half years, it was shortened for somebody's mind. Maybe, or how about this? How about he made the daylight hours at that time, made the days shorter so the Jews could hide during that time in the dark and in the dark of night, escape and get away. That could be part of it. I kind of lean more towards that than the length of time. I kind of like the idea that the days are gonna be shortened himself because it says days, plural, shortened, but I could be wrong. But listen, man, he lays all of that out. He says it's gonna happen. And once again, you can read these passages, Daniel 7, 25, Daniel chapter 12, Revelation chapter 12. So again, read those books and get an understanding of what Jesus is talking about. So he lets them know that, and then, and then he gives them this warning. Verse 23, then if anyone says to you, look, here is a Christ, or there, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. Here's what he's saying, man. Do not pay attention to that stuff when they go, there's the Christ. No, there's the Christ. You know, I have a really, really, really close friend who is a hardcore post-tribber, and you might be a post-tribber here today, and that's okay. You can be wrong. But uh, this close friend of mine is a post-tribber. And, and, you know, part of, I think, I, I personally, I believe for him, he's a real survivalist. Now, now, listen, he's not a prepper. It's not that he goes and he's hiding food and stuff. He's not that guy. But he's a survivalist. He loves to try and survive in the wilderness and do things. And when we used to go on mission trips together, he would pray that I would get appendicitis, appendicitis so he could practice and do surgery. I go, dude, Seriously? And he goes, that would be so awesome. I think I could pull it off. And I go, why would you pray? Why would you pray that for somebody? 
This is, so this is this guy, right? And so he's a post-tribber, and hey, when, when, and he discipled me, and I was a post-tribber for a long time, but you know what I found out being a post-tribber? You know what post-tribbers are looking for? The Antichrist. Nowhere in my Bible does it say, look up and find the Antichrist. My Bible says, look for the Christ. Watch for him. You start watching for the Antichrist, you could get duped. Hey, and I said last time we studied, look at, look at all the Antichrists who have, quote, come and gone in, in, in our time period. And, and I, I remember, man, we would sit and try and figure out who the Antichrist is. Is it Gorbachev? He's got that weird thing on his head, you know. It must be him. I personally think it's Clint Eastwood. But, you know, that's... You'll figure that out later. You can do your own study. That's through lots of research that I figured out it's Clint Eastwood. But listen, man, do not pay attention when they say, here is a Christ or there is a Christ. Once again, he's saying, don't be deceived. Why? Because we can be deceived. Oh, it gets worse. Verse 26, therefore, if they say to you, look, he's in the desert, do not go out. Or look, he is, uh, he's in the inner room. Do not believe it. Now, here's the key. Verse 27 for as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will be the coming, or will the coming of the Son of Man be. Listen, man, he is going to come, and when he comes that time, nobody's going to miss it. Nobody's going to wonder. Nobody's going to say, now we're going to read next week that there's a secret coming, and I'll, I'll plug all those together and help you out with that. But listen, man, here he's saying, man, when he comes, and here's what I believe with all my heart. If, if you're here during the tribulation, if I'm wrong, you will know exactly when the Messiah is coming. Why? He's given us the dates when the abomination that causes desolation, hey, when the Antichrist sets himself up in the temple, get your Apple watch out and set three and a half years. And when it starts dinging on your wrist, he's gonna show up. It's that thing. He gives you the exact timetable of when he's coming and when it's going to be, and you're not going to miss it. It's not like somebody can go to this one part of the world and go, whoa, I missed it. No, it's going to happen. And when it happens, listen, when it happens, everyone is going to know it. It's going to be that spectacular. And then, and then comes verse 28, like my favorite. For where there is for where the carcass is, there the eagles or vultures, really it should be, there the vultures will be gathered together. Huh? Like, do you ever read your Bible and get to like, <laughs> why is that there? Like, we're talking about the Son of Man coming from the east to the west, and we're talking about false Christ, and we're talking about this, and then he goes, oh, by the way, hey, where the vultures are, there you know that they're gathered where the carcasses is, and you know the vultures are there. Thank you. That's a tough verse. It's like, why is that verse there? Now, some people, because the New King James and King James uh, translate eagle, some people take this whole big thing and they build their amillennial theology on that one word, eagle. And when you see the eagle, the eagle represented the Roman army because on their emblems they had an eagle and they're coming in. And you know, when they're coming in, that's it. And I'm going, I don't think so. That's just weird. Because again, the better translation is vultures. I think he's saying, hey, I'm not going to be dogmatic. This is one thing that, you know, we can almost pick and choose. I'm not going to be dogmatic, but here's what I think he's talking about. Even today, even today, if you see vultures, what do you know? Something's dead, right? 
So when you see vultures, you know something's dead. When you see the lightning, you know the Son of Man is coming. Do you see what he's saying? I think the, the, new, uh, the, the, the new Living Translation reads that really well. It says, when you see the vultures circling, it's the same as when you see the lightning from the east and the west. They kind of take some liberties there. So here's what I think uh, Jesus is saying. Just as surely as vultures circling tell you there's a dead body, so when you see that lightning and these signs I just told you basically, you will know the Son of Man is coming. And I think he ends it there. So now, now here's the thing. Hey, Pat, I came to church on Sunday, and that like wasn't real edifying. Like, you know, I got some numbers, and it's kind of helping me out, and I kind of understand that. But that's a lot of stuff, and I got stuff going on in my life that I need God to take care of, and you're not helping me out here. Au contraire. Listen to this. If God has this figured out to every detail, and he's speaking it beforehand and warning us, don't you think he has your life figured out? All you gotta do is trust him. And see, I, that's why I love studying end times. I don't love studying end times so much as to get my charts down and everything down, although I like that part. And I love that part. And I have flipped since I first got saved and, and changed. And, and, you know, if somebody can prove me wrong, I would change again, biblically. But listen, here's what I love about end times. It tells me my God is in control in spite of what things look like. Trust me, man, you read this and you really get a hold of this and let it get a hold of your heart and you look at this, it is going to get so ugly at the end. There is no one that could believe that God is in control at that moment unless they believe the Bible. And you and I have the word of God. So yeah, you know, I know a lot of this, but this should, in your heart, confirm to you that God is in control. God knows your life. God knows what's going on. And you need to walk with him and trust him through those things. Let's stand up and pray.